The following message was presented during the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries 2017 Prophecy Conference season. Now here's Timothy Rabinic with a message from Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, Daniel's encounter with God's glory. When the Israelites started to cross the Red Sea, they did not stop in the middle, right? They went to the other side. They did not stop in the wilderness. They continued their journey. It took a while, but eventually they got to River Jordan and they did not stop there either. They, thanks to God, crossed it and went into the Promised Land. Well, brothers and sisters, today we have the privilege to enter the Promised Land. It is very easy to start something, but it is, I think, very important, extremely important, to finish something. And today we have the privilege to finish what we have started on Friday, uh, the final vision of the book of Daniel, the final unit that is recorded in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And chapter 10 is really an introduction to the vision that will be unfolding in the next two chapters. But even in this chapter that we will study right now, we have a lot of interesting information. Actually, we have unique information on spiritual warfare, on angels and demons, and on Israel in God's plan. So, I would like you to open your Bibles to the 10th chapter of Daniel, because we will go through the verses progressively, um, and uh, it's important that you are um, following the text. And the first verse of chapter 10 is really an introduction to what happens in the next three chapters. It tells us in general what happened, and then the next verses tell us how it happened. Verses 1 and 4 are really an introduction uh, uh, and tell us about the occasion, the um, circumstances of the vision. And in verse 1 we already learn four very important things. First of all, we learn the year of the vision. Each vision in the book of Daniel is dated. And the, fir the third year of the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia, would be 536-535 BC, before Christ, or how my Jewish friends like to say, BCE, before Christ even. <laughs> well, uh, at that time, Daniel would be about 85, 84 years old, and Daniel is interesting because he went through the whole Babylonian captivity. As we remember, he was taken captive in the first deportation in 605 and went through to live to see the decree that allowed the Jewish people to return to the Promised Land. So that's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is that Daniel is Daniel. Okay, <laughs> He provides us with his... Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, to reinforce the point that he is the same person that came with the first deportation. 
And perhaps he also gives it because some people did not know him as Daniel. Some people only knew him as Belteshazzar. So he's providing his Babylonian name. And third, we learn in this verse that the vision will describe a very long conflict. And actually, the vision describes three types of conflict. In chapter 10, it will be a spiritual conflict that we will discuss. Chris will discuss in the next session a historical conflict. And in the last session, an apocalyptic conflict will be described. So, um, and the last thing that we learn is that um, Daniel did understand the general concept of the vision, but did not understand all the details. They came with time and additional explanation. And when the vision comes to Daniel, as you can see, he's not the happiest person in Persia. Okay? He is semi-fasting, he's not eating the good stuff, he's not eating meat or drinking wine, he's not taking care of his body, so no lotions, no perfumes that would protect his body from the sun. And really, his physical state reflects his spiritual state of mourning for three weeks. And three weeks should be taken here literally. So 21 days. The question is, why is he mourning? Why is Daniel so concerned? Why is he praying? Well, perhaps Daniel is not happy about the current situation. Two years have passed since chapter 9, and Daniel is not liking what he's seeing. The decree has already been issued for the Jewish people to return, but he's not, he doesn't like what he's seeing. In Ezra 2.64 and Nehemiah 7.66, it tells us that only 42,360 Jewish people are returning to the Promised Land after the decree is issued a great majority of the Jewish people are staying in Babylon. Why are they staying? Well, we need to remember that 70 years have passed. A lot of Jewish people are already well settled in Babylon. And perhaps they do not want to go to Israel and start everything from the beginning. It's a very human reaction, right? I mean, this situation is not very different from what we have today. In the diaspora today, there is a lot of Jewish people that are living not in Israel. They have, they can return to Israel. In America, there is a lot of Jewish people that are not returning to Israel. In Canada, there is a lot of Jewish people that are not returning to Israel. I even meet people in Poland, Jewish people, in, in Ukraine and Belarus, you might think that they would like to get out of there. But all they know is the life they had in Belarus or Ukraine. And they're afraid to return. They don't know what to expect over there. Not because their life would be worse there. It probably would be better. But they still decide to stay. That's, that's a situation, for example, of my grandfather and my wife's grandparents. They they don't want to go back to Israel. So, 
not a lot of Jews are returning, and the situation in the land is also intense. Uh, in Ezra 4.24, we read that Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem has been stopped after an, uh, a letter was sent to King Xerxes um, by non-Jewish tribes. And, of course, this is much later in time. King Xerxes was, became king in 464 BC. But it really shows the situation that was in the land. It was intense. When the Jewish people were returning, it wasn't easy. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah tell us about that. And today, if we look again at our times, when the Jewish people return to the land, again, the same situation. They are facing opposition from Palestinians, from all the nations around Israel. It's not easy. A very specific time is given also when did Daniel start to pray. We see this in verse 4. The first month of the year in the Jewish calendar is Nisan. And Nisan, in Nisan there is a very important Jewish holiday. On the 14th of Nisan there is a Jewish holiday of Passover. And this tells us that Daniel started to pray started to mourn before Passover because 24th of Nisan minus 21 days of mourning of which we read is the 3rd of Nisan. So Daniel started to mourn, started to pray on the, on the 3rd of Nisan. And perhaps, perhaps he was thinking about the coming holiday of Passover because what Passover is all about? Passover is about the history, the story of how God took the Jewish people out of Egypt and brought them to the Promised Land. Now, the situation repeats. The Jewish people, again, thanks to God, can return to the Promised Land. The vision also appeared in a real and physical location. So Daniel was not transported into another dimension but it happened in a real location. The problem is that the Tigris River was very long. It was several hundred miles long. It went 20 miles past Babylon. So Daniel really could be as far as 20 miles from Babylon or several hundred miles from Babylon, which, used, which was the capital at the time. We really don't know. We just know that he was next to the river, Tigris. Remembering, however, his older age, he would probably not be far from a major city. So those are really the circumstances of the vision. Now we will look at the messenger of the vision. And there are six things that describe the messenger. He was clothed in linen, representing purity. Ezekiel 9, verses 2 and 3 and 11. Ezekiel 10, verse 2, 6 and 7. And Revelation chapter 15, verse 6. Present angels as clothed in linen. His waist was gridded with gold of Upas. That's the next thing we read. Representing royalty. The book of Maccabeans, which is not 
in the Bible, but it tells us about the story of the Maccabeans. Maccabean chapter 10, verse 89, present people of royal class with a golden belt. His body was like beryl, representing unhuman origins. Ezekiel 1.16 and Ezekiel 10.9 use the same material to describe the wheels of the chariot that Ezekiel saw. His face was like lightning, representing brilliance. Ezekiel 1.13 described the surrounding of the angel as out of fire from which lightning went out. His eyes like torches, representing discernment and insight. Again, Ezekiel 1.13 described the appearance of angels as burning coals. His arms like feet, like burst bronze in color, representing judgment. Ezekiel 1.27, we have the description of a similar metal that is glowing. And his voice like the voice of a multitude, representing power. Ezekiel 1.24 shows the wings of the angels that made a similar sound. So I have a question now. This is the description. Two, actually, questions. First of all, who is this messenger? And uh, some commentators, some people, have suggested that this is, in fact, Christ. A pre-incarnate Christ. A theophany or a Christophany. And often Revelation chapter 1 verses 13 and 16 are given to show the similarities. However, there is a, I think, serious problem if you take that view. Because we read later on that the messenger was stopped or overwhelmed by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, if that was Christ... It's hard to imagine that Christ would be stopped. Christ is all-powerful. Christ is, cannot be stopped by anybody, and he would, need, he would not need help from an angel. So I think it's better to interpret this as an angel. Perhaps Gabriel, that did appear before. Angels did come to Daniel to give him visions. And also the description that we read and the verses that I provided from Ezekiel show that angels had similar appearances. Okay? So it's better probably to interpret this as an angel. My second question is, can you imagine? Can you imagine how scary it was to see that? I mean, we often go through those verses and we don't quite visualize them like trying to draw this even, you know, or trying to imagine how it would sound, a voice of a multitude, how scary it would be. You know, there are people today that say they want visions or that they want a new revelation from God. Uh, some say they received a new revelation from God. Well, perhaps they don't know what they are talking about. <laughs> and perhaps they don't know what they are asking for. This was a scary thing, and... We can see, when we look at the, the companions of Daniel, right? They didn't even see the vision and they escape. He didn't have good friends, I mean, <laughs> just left him there. <laughs> but uh, he didn't look good anyways, you know, probably. <laughs> uh, but 
Daniel was extremely scared, and we can see this. He was left alone. He lost instantly all his strength. And when the angel spoke, Daniel went into a deep sleep. Not because it was boring, but because it totally overwhelmed him. It knocked him out. It was like a punch from, like a punch from a boxer, maybe, you know. Not a Polish boxer, <laughs> but the American boxer. <laughs> okay, but what is interesting, I think, is that he fell on his face, which again shows that Daniel understood that he is approached by a heavenly being. So, and you know, if we look at uh, Daniel, nine, uh, Daniel 8, Daniel did experience a similar reaction to a vision. Daniel 8, 17, he falls on his face. Daniel 8, 18, he falls into the ground. And Daniel 8, 27, he fainted and was sick for a few days, and no one understood the vision but him. So it happened before to Daniel. So the angel has to touch Daniel to wake him up. But Daniel is still very frightened. He's on his knees, shaking. His fingers are holding the ground, barely holding him from totally collapsing. So he's very, very scared. And now in verses 11 through 14, they, they provide us really interesting information on the vision that Daniel is about to receive. First, we learn that Daniel is the one who is chosen by God to receive this vision. And Daniel is called greatly beloved by God. Again, Daniel is a very positive character. He is very positive, but very humble. And God calls him greatly beloved. Daniel is asked to stand and listen carefully. Because what is he about to receive is very important. And the message was so important that was sent on the very first day, on Nisan 3rd, when Daniel started to pray. Remember in chapter 9, the angel comes to Daniel even before he finishes to pray. Here, it takes 21 days for the angel to come. You can think about it, right? Sometimes we pray about something for one day, maybe for two days. It doesn't work out. We give up. Daniel continued for 21 days. It's amazing. Well, why did it take 21 days? Well, there were some problems on the way. Apparently, what Daniel was about to hear was so important, so important that it involved the most powerful spiritual forces you can imagine. And verse 13 of chapter 10 provides us with unique information on the activity of fallen angels. The angel that was supposed to come to Daniel was stopped by the one who is called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, this is not a human being. This is certainly not a Disney character called Prince of Persia. This is a powerful demon. Because only such would be able to stop 
God's messenger. The demon was so strong that an additional angel had to be sent. Michael is sent. Why Michael? What do we know about Michael? Well, Michael, if we remember, in Jude 9, is called the archangel, he, which means the first angel or the, the chief angel. So a very powerful angel was sent, perhaps the strongest angel at God's disposal. We also know that Michael is called the Prince of Israel. In verse 21, we read about it. In chapter 12, verse 1, we read that Michael is called great in power and the one who protects the Jewish people. And the third thing that we know about Michael is that Michael is involved with the final battle, with one of the final battles at the end of times. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 and 9, through 7 to 9, we read that Michael leads the angels that defeat the dragon, that defeat the serpent of the old, the devil, with all his fallen angels. So I have a few observations that I would like to share with you about those verses. First of all, what Daniel is about to receive is very serious. It, is, it involves much more than Daniel and the current Jewish situation. It involves the most powerful spiritual beings you can imagine that are involved at the end of times. Michael, he is involved in this. Second, we clearly see how important Israel is to God. We learn that when Daniel is about to receive information about the future of Israel and record it, suddenly the most powerful spiritual forces, the demons, are involved in that to stop that. The demons and the devil know that if they stop Israel, if they stop the Jewish people, there will be no victory for God. And third, God is sovereign and will win. Israel did experience, is experiencing, and will experience problems. There was a delay. The message was stopped, but God's plans were never in jeopardy. God is much more powerful than any being, any demon, and his plans cannot be stopped. We have the revelation. We received the revelation about Israel, and it is not distraction of the Jewish people. Fourth, we learn that Michael is Israel's protecting angel. The chief angel, the first angel, is especially assigned to protect the Jewish people. This shows how important the Jewish people are to, Israel, uh, to God. And fifth and last, there were fallen angels that were assigned to specific nations. The question is, are there fallen angels today, demons assigned to specific nations? I think it's highly probable. I don't think the devil changed the strategy so much. 
I mean, if we look, it's just a suggestion, but perhaps the prince of Persia is still around. If we look at the country of Iran and how this country is obsessed with destroying Israel, if we look at countries such as North Korea, if we look at China, at Russia, there are some really dark forces involved. I wonder why. So why did the angel come to Daniel? Well, obviously it was to answer Daniel's plea to know about the future of the Jewish people. But as we will learn, it will involve much more than just the current situation of the Jewish people and the near future. And by the way, Daniel's people are the Jewish people. It's not referring to the church. Um, so this will refer specifically to the nation of Israel. So what is uh, Daniel's reaction to all of that? It, it certainly impressed Daniel because, again, he loses all his strength and he cannot speak. So the angel has to touch his lips. And as soon as Daniel is able to speak, he says, well, Lord, there is no way. There is no way I will remember all of that. I am so weak, so scared. I know something very important is coming, but I will not be able to remember this. Have you ever had a situation like that in your life? When you felt very sick or very weak or scared, stressed, that you couldn't even remember the very simple information, like your PIN number or your telephone number, right? I mean, I remember when I was in uh, Philadelphia Bible University and I was very, uh, it was the day that I was uh, go, uh, to go in front of the Friends of Israel board and I was very, uh, not scared, but stressed <laughs> and I didn't eat anything. I was trying to remember everything. I was thinking what they're going to ask me, perhaps the, to explain the 70 weeks of Daniel or name all the kings of Israel. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I was scared. And then David, uh, David Levy came to pick me up, and David saw that I was very stressed. And uh, David said to me, uh, Timothy, you will do just fine. And suddenly, I was able to focus. I think it, God really used David that time, at that time. And you know, the angel, what the angel does to, to, to Daniel here, he does three things. He assures Daniel of his position by calling him greatly beloved. Daniel 9.23, Daniel 10.11, and Daniel 10.19. This is the three, uh, three uh, examples where Daniel is called in this way in the book of, of Daniel. He calms Daniel by wishing him shalom. He's wishing him peace, and he strengthens Daniel by saying to him, be strong, be strong. And the result is positive because Daniel is instantly strengthened, and he's ready to listen and receive the message. You know, God can help us, even in the most miserable times in our lives when we think we are so weak. God can help us. God can give us strength. So the last part of the chapter informs us that the battle is not over yet. That's verses 20 and 21. It is an ongoing battle. And the prince of Persia is not defeated yet. The angel must return after he will give the vision to fight the prince of Persia. And we are also told that after him comes another 
one who is called the Prince of Greece. So the battle is going on. And, then and the demons will continue to challenge God's plans. And they were doing it through the most powerful nations we can imagine at the time. First Persia, then Greece. And in the time of the reestablishment of Israel as a nation, as a country, it seems that the devil took out his biggest guns. You know? Today, again, after 2,000 years, Israel is a nation again. Israel is a country again. Think how stressed the devil is. <laughs> right? <laughs> but look, look around our world. He's really stressed because what is he doing is terrible. But we can be comforted. We can rejoice. We can rejoice because there is a scripture of truth in heaven which tells us Daniel received part of the scripture, part of this revelation which told him about the future of his people. And we also have this revelation. We also have the Bible, the holy word of God, which tells us the future. Of course, we don't know everything. We don't have all the details. But we know that God will be victorious. The question I think that everybody needs to ask is, am I on the right side of the battle? Am I on the right side of the battle? The battle is continuing. And, you know, it's sometimes it feels like the devil, the evil forces are so big. And we are so small. Look at Israel. Yesterday we saw the map. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't even see it on this map that, that was shown, right? And all the nations around it are so big. But this is just an illusion that the devil likes to use. Because there is no nation, no power, no country, no demon, no devil that can even stand close to our God, to the God of Israel. Amen. He is all-powerful. And when Yeshua HaMashiach will come, and Jesus will return, His splendor will be much greater than anything we can imagine. What Daniel saw was scary. But imagine how wonderful, how how glorious it will be when Jesus Christ will return. It's going to be amazing. And the Jewish people will be saved. Because we know, because we have God's word. And if we are believers in Christ Jesus, our future is secured. We need to remember that. Um, I need to remember that. When... Uh, there are difficult times in our lives when really sometimes you feel like uh, everything is against you in some situations. And, and God sometimes put us, puts us in this place. 
uh, for us to ask him for help, to get on our knees, to put our fingers on the ground. He puts us so that we realize that he is in charge. And even, even when we are so weak, so desperate, he can use us in marvelous ways. Amen? Amen. Amen. For more audio resources, including MP3 downloads of past prophecy conferences, visit us at foi.org.